Gig Gab, the show for working musicians, episode 307 for Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. <music> Greetings, folks. And welcome to, welcome back to GigGab, the show by, for, and about working musicians. Even if we didn't work much in the last year. We're working again now. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Napomo, California, it's Paul Kent. How are we, Mr. Mr. Kent? Did I tell you about the gig that I have? It's a solo acoustic gig. It's actually my, my most regular gig down in my new area. Yeah. And the guy wants blues music. Did I tell you, you about Yeah, this? you I, talked I, about this last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've actually been kind of digging into it. It's, you know, it, it is a, I think what I shared was, I actually think to play good blues is not easy and it's so much feel and I didn't want to play bad blues, but yeah. I've kind of, I can kind of dig into the Clapton stuff, you know, like the Clapton Unplugged album sure, and, you know, Hey, Hey and Malted Milk and that type of stuff. And, and actually find my way to, you know, doing a, a okay representation of that stuff. And then there's some stuff that the owner of the, of the gig of the venue is, is cool with it. You know, like, like old love and, you know, stuff that would be more, I wouldn't say it's classic blues, but sure. it's on the Clapton Unplugged album. So he, <laughs> so he says, it I'll allow it. Er yeah. Eric did it. It's fine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it's been interesting, you know, always learning a new style, like mm -hmm. just diving in, focusing, it's really, you know, it's so different in your hands and it's, uh, you know, it needs a little grit to be good blues, right? Especially yeah. solo acoustic blues, right? You know, yeah. you, you can't only rock it up and, you know, and, and you can't, uh, you, you can't rely on sloppiness to make you authentic. You, you know, no. there's, a, there's something to that style that kind of makes it kind of nasty. And, and, uh, and that's a hard thing again, when it's just a solo guy, like that's true of any know. style of music. I mean, it like one of the, one of the things John Catrone, my, uh, my first and sort of longest running drum teacher, uh, one of the lessons he instilled in me was play all kinds of different styles. Even if you don't listen to it, he's like, play it because it will teach you something that's valuable. Even if you never wind up playing that style, but if you're on a gig and somebody calls up for that style, like being able to play a bossa nova or a samba with, you know, with some of that feel makes a big difference. And, you yeah. know, and the same is true for playing a, a two beat, you know, like a simple little oompa, 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 like all that stuff. He's like, you know, he, he was always pushing me to just play as many different styles and with as many different people as you can, because you're going to learn something from different musicians too. You know, that's so. absolutely true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is a little different because it's a solo thing. So I'm kind of on my own to figure this out and I'm all by myself in trying to, you know, there's, there's no place to hide if I don't have it right. And so, yes. um, you know, kind of going slowly, you know, really repetition, repetition in, in practicing this stuff and trying to get it out. And it's kind of coming together. It sure, sure is fun. I mean, for That's good. an acoustic guitar player, you know, you can strum, you can finger pick, but this is, you know, interestingly arranged songs with your thumb doing a bass and, you know, your other fingers, you know, doing melody lines and, and then solos that combine the two. And it's, uh, it's very different and it's, it's, it's been kind of cool to That's dig good. into it. So kind of surprised myself, you know, how much I'm enjoying the ride on this. I, yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel. Um, but, you know, I think I mentioned on the show 
that I'd never really listened to country music and then got called to do a gig for it. And this is 20 years ago or whatever. And it was like, oh, wow, there's there's something in here. Like, I had no idea that this music that sounds so simple would be interesting to play because it's not so simple to play. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, and uh, you know, the same is true of different styles of other other styles of music. Like R.E.M. was a band that I and we had a long episode where we talked about R.E.M. I didn't like that band and I had no interest in that band is perhaps a better way to say it until I started playing their stuff in a, you know, a sort of half cover band when I was in high school. And it was like, oh wait a minute, there's something here. Like, so yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love it when, when music can surprise you. Actually, I felt the same way about the blues when I joined the Murray band in Texas. I didn't really know anything about the blues. I'm glad. Was that like more a Stevie Ray Vaughan trio blues thing? Or was that Uh, like a, it was more blues rock than, than just straight blues for sure. But, but even that was a, a new style to me. And, you know, playing all those shuffles and really kind of learning how to do it all. It's a whole different thing. Yeah, it is. I had one other gig this weekend. So, you know, I've been telling you, I've been going up to my friend's house who's just taking up the drums. You were nice enough to give him a drum lesson. And uh, we did our little pickup um, band. Um, You know, he was he felt ready to play. Right. And let's let's do it. We originally had put September 11th. So way out in the future. And we were just going to, you know, casually once a week. But, you know, some of the songs were coming together and we played. And he did really well. Well, I mean, um, he was really nervous and um, soundcheck was a little bit of a train wreck. But, you know, we rearranged the songs to put the ones that he was really comfortable with up front. Yep. He, you know, again, you look back and you see someone just have that look on their face of really enjoying it. He said it was an out of body experience. That's great. And, uh, oh, yeah. I'm so so it was kind of cool. That's but great. it's kind of an interesting thing. You know, I, I'm going to see him for dinner this week. And I'm wondering what the feedback I should give him is, you know, he mostly kept the beat. He had a couple songs where he could do some fills in, Sure, but you know, just keeping a beat through a whole song is not really, you know, that's not, that's, that's, that's level one. Right. And so, you know, we want to get to level three, four or five. Um, So, you know, we can certainly now know songs that work and songs that don't work, you know, for the skill levels that are involved. Yep. And um, it was a really good experience, though. It was a really nice party. You know, it was, it was a Homer crowd, a bunch of family and friends. And it was really fun for me to see how well he did. Um, my wife took a lot of videos, and, and uh, he was you know, just focused. And, you know, he worked so hard to get to the point where he is. So it was a good experience. I got to, I don't know, you have any advice as to, you know, for this scenario that I'm describing, you play your first one. You kind of now know your best stuff, but you know you're, you're at a fairly basic level. Yeah, just keep playing. I mean, it, 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 when I was coming up, I remember John Ailey, who was the bass player in a band called Those Melvins, um, was a, a band that was certainly bigger than us at the time, and probably always remained bigger than us. And go figure. Uh, but we, and we knew those guys when I played in Arite, which was sort of the high school band, and then Go Figure became the college band. We knew those guys in Arite, and. Uh, and I remember talking to John about like, okay, well, how do you know if you're ready for your first gig? Cause we were, you know, still figuring it all out. And he's like, Oh, he's like, you, you won't know until like your 20th gig that you're ready. He's like, you got to <laughs> just go play. And we took that to heart and he was totally right. Like, I don't know even now, like, I don't know any band that I would look back at the first gig and say, we were ready to play a gig, except I now know that the definition of ready is different than, than what I would think it was, right? Like if you want to go out and be fully confident that everything's going to go perfectly and all of that, well, 
I'm still waiting, right? Like mm-hmm. that doesn't happen. You that's you sort of have to embrace the fact that it is live art and you're creating it in the moment. That's I, I like mean, that. That's one of the things I love about I, I mean, I love all different types of art, but live art is really an interesting thing because whatever happened is what happened and that's it, you, you know, and it, it, it happens and it passes. And then the next moment is there. Right. And, and so you just keep going from moment to moment. And then maybe you start to get some perspective where the moments get larger, it, you know? Um, but, but I think that's good. Yeah. yeah the, the, the immediacy of the moment makes you, either sink or swim and, right. and uh, but then you can you know, swim that, the next moment after you've sunk. That's exactly right. That's, yeah. that's, that's a really good way to put it. Forget that. I think you, you just learn sunk. a little bit about song selection. You know, yeah. there's a, there's a difference between what you like and what you can do. Um, and you know, if you're aiming towards performing, stack it with what you can do and then stretch on the, what you like stuff, yeah. you know, every once in a while. Yeah. Well, and your idea of starting the set with a couple of softballs that everybody felt comfortable with, especially your, you know, newly minted gigging drummer uh, felt comfortable with, like, that's a really smart thing to do. You want to build confidence yeah. in those first few songs. Usually. I mean, there's, there's those first few songs can serve a set in a variety of ways for a band that is well-oiled, I often find that putting some uh, less familiar songs up front can be a good thing because it forces everybody to pay attention. Right. Mm. But, but that's the, that's the flip side of all of this, right? You know, if a band's been playing for 10 years and you just had a great rehearsal, I would start the gig with a few things that are going to keep people from just like phoning it in uh, just to get everybody to set the stage, so to speak, of being on point, attentive, aware and then you go into whatever you want to play but yeah for your scenario starting with those softballs that everybody feels real comfortable with or even for a well-oiled band that you know is on a stage that maybe the sound isn't quite right or whatever it's like okay let's just get out there and do things that we know how to do and see what it feels like here and then go from there for sure yeah makes sense cool i played in the gig yeah i played <laughs> I can't think of the last time I played a basement gig, Paul, but I did one on Saturday night. So, you know, I live in California. We don't have basements because we have earthquakes, right? <laughs> oh, right. Yes. So uh, I experienced this when I lived in Texas because no, we had limestone down there. So we did not have basements unless you had a lot of money and you wanted to blast out limestone to make a basement. So, right. So uh, a basement gig is literally a gig in someone's basement. Uh and and often like a house party thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a house party that happens on the on the very, very bottom floor, uh, usually a very unfinished floor. And this certainly was a basement gig. I, I mean, walking in. So, first of all, it was, you know, in most ways, the, the most covid unsafe thing that you could possibly imagine. Right. Small basement. There weren't yeah. a ton of people there, but, you know, there were maybe no circulation, 15, 20 people, no circulation. Everybody's vaccinated. And so I was like, OK, well, and we knew this going in like that. That part of it was not a surprise. So, OK, fine. Uh, but other, you know, taking that aside and knowing that going in. I had all these great feelings just walking down into this basement because I learned how to play my drums in a basement. I had all of my band rehearsals in a basement and I played a bunch of basement gigs when I was a kid. Uh, and and then I moved to Texas and, you know, haven't done one since. I don't think. Is there something that characterizes a basement gig other than that it's in a basement? Well, it's just usually very low stakes in that 
you know, it's a private event. People generally don't invite the general public into their basements or, or their homes, you know, <laughs> at all. So it's, you know, it was a, it was a, a very low key kind of thing, but man, just so much fun. And I, I mean, we set up, we played it. The, the, the crowd was attentive. The band was great. The sound was, well, the sound was an interesting thing, right? Because, I hadn't really thought about this in a long time, but where I learned how to do sound was in a basement, my basement. And so I, I, it had been a, it, because it had been decades since I'd done a basement gig. It also had been decades since I did sound in a basement. And when I learned how to do sound, it was, it was, um, it was really just, you know, sort of self-preservation. Our rehearsals would always sound like crap. We'd have to have the PA super low. Otherwise it would feedback. And then we started doing these, you know, we'd start playing some gigs and I would shadow every sound engineer that we worked with. I would watch them. Thank, thankfully, you know, back in those days, there were no remote mixers, right? You couldn't stand on stage and tune a monitor with an iPad. Uh, so one engineer would stand on stage. The other one would be way out at the front of house and he would be making sounds and, you know, oh, ah, 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 it's like sounds with his mouth. And saying, okay, dump 2K, no, that's not it, dump 4K, you know, and finding the frequencies of the things. Mm. But because that was happening out loud, I got to learn by watching. And then I would ask questions. And then I would go back to my basement. And with our rocking five-band EQ on our little mixer that we had, mm -hmm. I learned how to tune, you know, crudely, learned the basics of tuning, uh, you know, monitors and things like that. So... To be doing that again on Saturday night, but this time, of course, with a digital mixer that has, you know, a four band parametric EQ on each output and a 32 band graphic EQ, you know, it was a whole lot easier. Uh, but a lot of those lessons came back. It was like, oh, yeah, there was like this weird, like 680 hertz rumble in the basement, which was bizarre. Like you just don't run into that frequency anywhere. And it was like, I guess that's where it is. And I dumped it out and I was like, yeah, it stopped feeding back. Okay, cool. Great. You know, but cool. the speaker placement and the, you know, the reflections and all of that. And we only ran vocals through the, through the PA. How long did you play? We played an hour, maybe an hour and 15 or whatever, but it was just, yeah, it was just an hour long set. And then, uh, packed our stuff up and went home. That's cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was awesome. It really, really was. I'll, I'll make the, um, the episode image, a picture of, of the band playing in the basement. So you can get a oh, real cool. vibe for what it, 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 if you can envision a band playing in a basement, I think the picture will reflect that accurately. But if you can't, then the picture will reflect it accurately. So there Love you it. go. Yeah, it was fun though. It was, it was, there was so many nostalgic moments and yet combined with, these new moments that like, thank goodness we're able to play. And like, this was really the first indoor gig that bitter pill had done. And, uh, and we rocked it out. I mean, it was great. Such a blast. Uh, you know, really I'm fun. noticing as, uh, we're getting back out there that remember we did a, we did the episode about a not soft landing, right? Like bumpy yeah. things. Um, I, you know, experiencing that to different degrees in different ways. But one thing I definitely am experiencing is, there are a lot of new faces on the scenes that, well, obviously the new scene where I'm a new guy too as well. But mm. even in the old scene where I am still up there and, and gigging a fair amount, a lot of musicians I had never heard of pre-pandemic, a lot of new bands, a lot of reconstituted bands or cross-pollinated bands, you know, people from multiple bands get together and do some stuff. Sure. Um, you know, it. It. I guess this was a Wild West type of thing for breaking up clicks and breaking up you know, strongholds that people had on certain venues and that type of thing. It's definitely, 
uh, open. Whether that's for the good of, you know, I guess it's going to depend on how good the, the, the acts are, but whether that's for the good of a scene or not the good of a scene, and whether those same people are going to fade away if they don't get enough gigs to keep them busy or interested, whether that's going to happen, I don't know. But, you know, gig dynamics are a really interesting thing. Like, you know, you worry about, especially if you're a pro and that's your revenue, it's the number of musicians to the number of gigs ratio that you worry about. That this That is clearly tilted in a little bit uh, of a way s- since things have started opening up, at least in my opinion. You, you seeing anything like that where you are? Um, I mean, you know, in a sense, yeah, it, there, there are... There are a couple of bands around here that are getting a couple of newly formed bands like Pandemic, either just prior to Pandemic got formed and then obviously took a break or a performing break, whether they took breaks of other kind, you know, I don't know, uh, or bands that literally formed during the pandemic um, that are getting good traction. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing some of that here. There, there definitely are some new names sort of pushing into the scene uh, and, 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 and then of course, you know, some old ones and then some names that were on the scene that, that I have not heard from yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's fair to say. I, I don't, but I don't know if you had asked the question, if you, you know, without leading the witness, I don't know that, that that's the thought I would have come up with, but, but it's certainly, yeah, it holds, it holds up here at some level. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll connect that thought to, if there's good music, you're seen as healthier, right? It will get more people out. Yes. If scenes are made, because, you know, I, I would contend certainly in the where I was, scenes were largely made based upon bands' ability to get their friends and family out. And, and you know, it's kind of transactional. You know, sure. the, the venue is you've passed the minimum requirement for the venue that trusted you to do one gig and maybe you'll get another one now because you've got your wife and her girlfriends and you know, your, your neighbors and that type of thing that I don't know that that's healthy. Right. I, I, if you, it's transactional, it gets you through one gig at the end of the day, what you want is a lot of people like I, I would imagine Austin is, and I imagine Nashville that you can pretty much trust if you want to go out to listen to live music, that most places are going to have quality live music. Oh, I don't know about, I mean, it depends on, I would say not most places. I would say the popular places will generally have quality music. Um, in Austin, you could find but even that. But I, 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 I knew you were going to say that. Even that, the popular places. Yeah. I would say that you know I've seen scenes where the popular places were still ruled, you know, by the ability of the band to you know pass the test for one night. Well, yeah, yes. The difference here is whether or not you have a tourist scene, right? Mm. So in Austin downtown, there, there always was some level of a tourist scene. So the bands that would get booked would generally be bands that would be amenable to someone who walked in off the street that didn't know who the band was. Right. They would stay and they would enjoy the music and they would listen. Right. They'd buy, buy more drinks. It'd be more than a, than a fifteen minute visit. Yes. Could you hold a Could you hold a crowd? I mean, really, there were two level two metrics that that you would look for in bands in Austin, especially on Sixth Street, which is the sort of the main drag ish. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that would be: can you hold the people in for an entire set? Like, can you bring them in when your set starts, and then do they stay? And then, and, and, and if you could, that, 
that was generally enough to be like thumbs up from from the management. Uh, if you could keep them through the set break, that was even better uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, but but, it, you know, it's a turnover crowd. Now, I've only been to Nashville once. And what I noticed, at least my very limited experience, the plural of anecdote is not data. So this is an anecdote, uh, was that there were no set breaks. They would have bands yeah. that would just rotate out, out members. And then suddenly there was a new band playing. Uh, well, you know, the, the first band was taking a break or the first, you know, it might, it might at one point just be, a, you know, a, a solo acoustic guitar or something holding it together while a couple other people would eventually come up on stage. That person would leave. Then maybe a drummer would show up and now you're into a full band thing. And it's like, OK, so I see what they're doing here. They're just not letting they're not giving you an excuse to leave. Yeah. You have to create it for yourself, which is, I, I totally get that. You know, I, actually oh, now I wonder why they weren't doing that in Austin 20 years ago. Maybe they are now. I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, so, so that's a little different. Although you, where you are now, there, there's a tourist scene right out by the, by the beach or no. Um, it's a, uh, there is. Yeah, there, there's a tourist, you know, this is a tourist area because it's a beach area. Right. It, Pismo it's Beach college is, area. is where you are, right? Pismo Beach and Avila Beach are two, okay. two you know, attraction-based places that people come for, you know, for, yeah. to get away. So, yes, there is a tourist thing. I don't know so much that there's a lot of, well, it's just d- different. I, I was telling this, you know, when we were doing pre-show that... um the music, like Nashville and Austin, for example, music is part of the tourist attraction. Yes. You, you, know, you know there'll be music available. True. There is music available, not on terribly large scales. The, as For what I can see, the festivals that are down here really cater to the locals. And, and as I shared before, one, one proof point of that is it's local original bands that are getting a lot of the gigs, which is so different from where I was, which is you know, cover dance bands were yeah. what they wanted, you know, at the festivals up there. So it, it's a little bit different, you know, like a lot of the beachfront hotels will have a single guitarist or a duo guitarist, but it's, it's, it's not the same even as, you know, where you are, you know, Hampton, you know, that type of thing. It's not, it's not music party on the beach type things. It's Got not it. music party down, downtown. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Different? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the music is, is there to support what's going on, not be the focus of what's going on. Yeah. Even at the wineries. I mean, there is one venue here that, you know, books, you know, name, name bands, you know, that are kind of in between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Sure. Um, really nice, you know, an amphitheater, but you know, even the wineries, which is a lot of the, the business around here. Um, it's supportive. There's a lot of work. I got to say, there's a lot of work. Um, for singles and duos and trios or small combos. I saw a really good um, band at a, at, a, at, a, at a restaurant in Pismo Beach, but the whole crowd was locals. I mean, here we are. It's ah, June. You know, it's okay. tourist season, yeah. but it was a locals place in the middle of Pismo Beach. It's a band called the Jump Jacks. They were playing jump blues. People were having a blast. You know, they were really good at what they did. It was good. but And it was right in the middle of, you know, of downtown Pismo Beach. So it could have been a tourist place, but it was literally packed with locals. You know, everybody seemed to know each other. And, I was going to say, you know. was this an original band that was playing? No, no. Oh. Well, they had a couple of originals, but they okay. they played, played you know jump blues and um, they covered a lot of stuff and they took a lot of stuff and adapted it to their style and they were really good. 
Yeah, I, I, I was whining to you before that I have not quite figured my new world out here. Yeah. And uh, and this is part of the thing is like, you know, I I could there is that, you know, nice hotels on the beach that like to have a guitarist in the corner. There are wineries and that's kind of my thing. You know, like I, I like it to be a little quieter and I like it to be people, people listening. Right. Not trying to get you know, a soft acoustic guitar song over clanking plates. That's hard. That's not really my, my vibe. Yeah. So, uh, and then out, out rock bands of which there's a million of them up in the Bay area. doesn't seem like there's as many classic rock bands down here. Sure. Um, but it's more tolerable of different styles. There's a lot of like electrified Avid brothers, you know, that type of, you know, Americana band type things. Yeah. Uh, that that seems to be good. There's some reggae down here. I mean, it's very different. So it's just it's, different. And, yeah. There's no corporate work down here, right? So there's no no really per se corporate. There's wedding gigs, but sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. That. Um. Yeah. Okay. So you just got a different. You got a different vibe, which makes a lot of sense. You move to a different place, and I and I gotcha. would say that that's. I mean, I the scenes. In the few places, I mean, I've essentially lived in three different places, you know, three different scenes. Um, and they've, they've truly all been, been different. Um, I, I don't, I can't tell from all the years we've known each other. Tell me what your current scene is. I mean, I know Fling and, you know, Fling was a good cover band was, you know, seemed to be able to book itself by playing almost any kind of covers that it wanted to. Yeah. Um, describe, are, were there, are there a hundred bands like Fling in your greater area? So flings, I mean, yes, fling wound up leaning in on, on playing covers, but really what was always at the core of fling was the originals that three of three fifths of us, write, And, mm -hmm. uh, and it, I'm not one of those fifths, uh, by the way, uh, but my choice. Um, so I, I wrote, um, essentially I've written one song that's been released and it did fairly well on college radio back in the, in the early nineties. And so I figured I'd just quit while I was at, um, the songwriting, that's not actually true. Uh, really it's that the songwriting bug just doesn't it, like, I, I don't have it. Um, doesn't mean that I couldn't convince myself to have it. Um, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how good of a songwriter I'd be, but, um, but I, you know, it just, it's just not a thing that, that I'm driven to do. I, I right. really like working with a songwriter uh, and crafting the song and finding the right way to arrange it and, you know, putting in harmonies and, and really just like elevating the song up and, and that collaboration process I, that I absolutely love. I've, I've really, I've spent a lot of effort developing my style of playing to be very much supportive of the song. And I, I think that's as much, a byproduct of working with so many great songwriters over the years as it is an intention so that I could work with so many great songwriters over the years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, but flings originals were always the thing that sort of separated us out, uh, even when we were mostly playing covers. Um, so, so, but around here, I would say the scene is mostly, it's certainly original heavy around here. And and that was true of of where I was in Connecticut too. A little bit different in in five, but of course I lived in the, each of these places at different times. I didn't just move from like the Connecticut original scene up to the to the New Hampshire original scene. I I spent you know six years in Austin in the middle, so um, things were you know 
things evolve, right? But uh, Portsmouth, mm-hmm. the, the, the Portsmouth slash Seacoast area has always been uh, uh, an original heavy scene. If I go to Manchester, that becomes a more covered heavy scene, but, but not exclusively like original bands. There's still places for original bands in, in Manchester too. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's more of a sort of generic cover scene there than there is here, for example. Um, yeah, but, but then you go down to the beach, like Hampton beach, and that is generally speaking all cover music. Cause it's just, you're playing for the tourists. So it's, you know, the, the people that you're playing for are transient, like that you will never see them again. Right. Like yeah. they don't, they, there's no reason to tell them what your schedule is because they don't care. It doesn't matter. They're leaving next week or they're leaving on Tuesday. And that's the, and again, success is getting them to stay for a, a set worth of that's two it. cocktails. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you play. It's, it's bring them in the door and entertain them for a night. And, and that's yeah. a fun thing. It's a very different thing than, you know, playing in a, in a focused original band where you're trying to actually build a following and release, you know, songs and put all of that out and get people to come to the gigs to hear your songs and that sort of thing. And, and creating that whole vibe, very different thing. Uh, but, but fun in, in the moment, that challenge of, you know, what's it going to take to bring somebody from, you know, 40 feet over there walking by on the street into here so that we can then entertain them for an hour. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a different thing and it's, it's fun. And sometimes you fail even it, oftentimes the thing that succeeded last week doesn't succeed today. So you really have Orleans to feel says that, that really well, you know, they, yeah. they usually put the band right in the front window. Yeah. Plus they have a guy at the front door, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole dynamic that happens there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's fun though. I mean, you know, I, 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 I had forgotten how much I enjoyed the original thing um, until recently, really, you know, playing with bitter pill. And then as fling has gotten really back into being focused on originals and and that sort of thing, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very rewarding thing. It doesn't mean that playing covers isn't, I mean, I'm enjoying the gigs that I do with Amanda here and there. Like those are fun. The people play well and you know, we have a blast playing them, but I had forgotten how much I also enjoyed playing, um, you know, original stuff and, and, and watching that crowd develop and watching people come out and singing the lyrics to songs that only your band does, you know, like that's a very rewarding thing. It's pretty cool. So, yep. yep. And, it makes it way easier to to develop a following, right? If you're playing covers, developing a following is, is like pulling teeth, right? Because it doesn't matter if people like your music, they can probably hear that same style of music, even if it might or might not be the same songs. They can go hear that type of music, you know, seven different places within a 20 minute drive or whatever on, on any given, you know, weekend night. Whereas if you're playing an original band, if people like your songs, you're hooked, they're hooked, right? Way easier. So there's that there's that too, which, which makes it fun, you know, and then, and then as, as every band does, you know, your band has a vibe and people either that either resonates with people or not. But I think I bring this up once a year. I mean, I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel like I need to take this step, right. You know, I, I have some, <laughs> you know, you're laughing, but mm. uh, you know, no, I'm I, laughing I because you're feel, right. You bring it up once a year. Yeah, 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 for sure. I really want to. Yeah. And, you know, I have, an, I have a notebook. I have a notebook next to me right now. And, you know, there's a bunch of ideas. And, and I, on my iPhone, I probably have 50 riffs, you know, that are, that are ideas. And um, I don't know, what, like, 
I guess you just do it, right? I, I The biggest thing that always held me back is just worrying that it won't be good. Oh, you know, like, don't worry about it. It's not going to be good. <laughs> I, I can already tell you the answer. <laughs> no, it's, right, I'm done. It's going to be awful, right? And that's the point. Like, you, like, like anything, you can't expect to be an expert guitar player the first time you pick up a guitar, right? Can't expect to be an expert drummer the first time somebody puts sticks in your hands or you put sticks in your own hands, right? Like, you know, it takes time and it takes a lot of mistakes to get to the point where you stop making so many dang mistakes. Yeah. And so it's like the same is, is going to be true for songwriting. I mean, to say I, I, I miscategorized earlier to say that I wrote, you know, I've written one song. I co-wrote one song. Technically I co-wrote two and go figure, but, but really it was one that was, that, that started with the germ of my idea, but I also worked it with three fantastic songwriters. Right. And, and they, took the song and made it good. So, you know, uh, it was most definitely a collaboration and, and it would not have been a, a popular song or a hit without, if it were just me, I mean, there's no way yeah, it would have been yeah. awful. So, um, but it is like my lyrics and, and the riff that I came up with, they just helped turn it into an actually good song. Um, but, uh, but that takes like, that's the trick is, is knowing how to take those, little, you know, raw parts, those rough ideas and craft them into a good song. And I would imagine the only way to really learn how to do that is to do it badly many, many, many times over and over yeah. again until you're like, Hey, wait, 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 this doesn't suck. Cool. I get it. It's just such a personal thing though. I mean, mm -hmm. it really feels like, you know, the path to doing this is I want to tell a story and you know, this is my story that I'm going well, to tell here, somebody. Here's the beautiful so, thing. If, if you're worried about that, don't tell the crowd that you're about to play your song for the first time. Just play like it. it. Yeah. And and then play the next thing. And maybe don't even ask people what they thought of it. Just like, how did it feel for you? Like, oh, okay. You might play it live the first time and be like, ah, I have an idea. I would do something different, you know, and then you, and then the next time you play it a little differently. And then somebody would be like, play that, play that crossing guard song again. What, what, who did that? Oh, that's actually one of mine. No kidding. Right. You know, there you go. I don't know. I, like I don't that. know that you have that's a crossing helpful. guard song, but that, you know, I just had to come up with something. <laughs> I will now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. And, and this is of course advice from someone who really isn't a songwriter at all. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I found a, a report that um, bar and nightclub foot traffic visits are up 33% this year, which is everywhere. Sort of across the board. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the folks at Zen reach did a, uh, study that, that showed that foot traffic is up, uh, 33%. Uh, now that is only really a 10% increase from a year ago in June, but it is up from June. Um, and of course things are still down like 60% compared to January. So we have a long way to go, but we are like the, the rate of increase of people attending bars and nightclubs is it, the rate of it is increasing, which is good. So I thought that was a, you know, a nice little. That is a good thing. You know, yeah. out here um, uh, about a month ago, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, said we're going to open June 15th. Okay. And 
he also said, if everything continues to go, I mean, there were a couple of caveats. Sure. But all, some anybody heard was, yeah. but all anybody heard was we're going to open June 15th. Of course. And he recently said, nope, it's not time yet to fully, you know, take all the things down. And a lot of things can happen, but not. And now all anybody hears is it's not going to happen June 15th, which is actually technically not the complete story. <laughs> I think June 15th, people are going to rush this stuff. So when I asked, is that, is that bar, um, you know, a lot of things are so closed here. Sure. Um, I th- yeah, I think it's more of a a, a, a general number, not a, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. I think everybody who's listening can probably agree. People are dying, you know, for social interaction. People are dying for live music. And, oh, yeah. you know, all all events that are offering something seem to be pretty easy to get people out to. I mean. Yes. Yes. People, it, it is. The, the thing that that I have been predicting, and of course, this is, could be through my own rosy lenses, but uh, the thing that I've been predicting since pandemic started of people are going to be ready to party when we get to leave our houses has thus far proven true. Now, again, anecdote, data, limited sample size, all of that. But it sure those the gigs I've played, man, it doesn't like we as the band don't have to be the ones to provide the first dose of energy in the exchange between band and crowd, mm. which is awesome. I mean, it's really great. You know, like it, it, that doesn't, that wouldn't always happen, especially, you know, small bar gigs or whatever. I mean, we'd like, we'd get that when we played our Macworld all-star band gigs, we'd walk on stage. Didn't matter what we did. We'd already won. Right. You know, yeah. but those people were a, you know, excited to see us and B they were pretty hammered by the time we took the stage. So, you know, it helped. Um, that's happening for me at every gig I'm doing right now. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Great. Right. Yeah. No great surprise. <laughs> yeah. It's happening to me when I go see a band, it's the same kind of thing. I'm just like starved for this uh, in, a, yeah. in a very real way. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I can tell you the outdoor attendance has been extraordinary on most things going on. Um, there's just not a lot of indoor things to compare to our first indoor thing. Isn't until October. We have two in October. You know, and that was somewhat by design. We had sure. enough outdoor stuff that that we were going to wait, you know, for this stuff to happen. But in the meantime, one of the clubs that is uh, one of the main clubs in, in the area that I that I play is opening up, and they went in and booked them. You know, tremendous. You know, it's not a very big place, and so sure. you know they're gonna they're gonna stuff it like crazy, and uh, they're opening June nineteenth. Okay, and uh, they've already booked themselves. You know, booked all their bands through the end of. July, maybe further. They've only announced the ones through the end of July. And uh, we didn't, we didn't even try for that. You know, we, we kind of let that bounce away because we're not ready to go indoors yet. Yeah, no. And, and that's fair. That makes sense. I mean, it, you know, it, we, um, one of our guys you'll see in the picture, uh, and these have been publicly posted on Facebook. So I think it's okay to say, but you know, one of the guys in the band chose to wear a KN95 mask when we played on, uh, on Saturday night. And, Yep. And it was, and, and he even, he was in there and, and he asked, he's like, does anybody have an extra mask? He's like, I'm kind of feeling like I want to wear one. And I, of course, you know, I bring way too much stuff to every gig. And so I was like, of course, you know, I've got, I've got brand new masks right here in my, in my gig bag. And so, you know, I gave him one, he drew a little pattern on this, on the mask and wore it while we played. And, but it, there was no hesitation from anybody. Nobody took a double take. Nobody in the band, I mean, took a double take to any of this. It was just like, okay, he wants to wear a mask. Like, great. Here you go. Like all good. It it was very well supported and we're a pretty supportive band anyway, but, but I just like, nobody even flinched when he asked that question. It was like, yeah, we're all figuring out. Like, we're glad we're all 
at least close enough to the same page that we're all able to do this gig together. Like that was fantastic, you know? And so like it's, it's going to be, yeah, it makes sense to, to delay those indoor gigs. This one was put on the calendar and, but it was put on the calendar with an asterisk, like as long as we're all comfortable and, and bitter pill is a modular band. Like we can play without all of us. So, you know, it it could have been one of those things where it was like, Oh, maybe it, it, you know, if just Billy and Emily are comfortable doing the gig, maybe it's just the two of them, you know, and that's okay. So yeah, it was, but it was fun to rock out. It was, we definitely were more of a rock band for that basement gig than we ever have been before and probably ever will be uh, or will be in uh, most times. I don't want to say we never would be, but yeah, we have, we have, we run a wide range in our, even in like a one hour set, we could go from very, very light acoustic, sometimes even acapella uh, to full on rock and, and back again. And, and that actually happens at most gigs, but this one, it was like intentionally we're in a basement. Like let's, let's go, let's go play rock band for an hour, like, mm. which was fun. Let's get something. Yeah. We, um, we got a note from listener Andy about our conversation a couple of weeks ago, Paul, uh, where we were talking about tempos and he said, it was funny to hear your comments about how you, how surprised you were to hear how fast some songs were on recordings of your band's live playing versus how you thought it was on stage. He says some of that adrenaline induced extra BPMs and energy is inevitable at live performance. But a while back in my band career, I was often horrified as the drummer more or less in charge of tempo than anyone else. When I heard how much of the groove killing speedy tempos my band's live recordings had, and I decided to really focus on it and do something about it. He says, I also now notice this same issue all the time when seeing other bands live, some bands mastering tempo much better and others not so much. The better bands, it seems, are much better at tempo management. So what to do? Most of the bands I've played with don't embrace the rigidity and other constraints that come with playing direct to click tracks while playing live. So he says, I came up with my own system involving a programmable metronome and an app called Live BPM on my phone, both mounted as part of my kit. Rather than relying on memory alone, every one of my set lists has a BPM number next to every song. And most often this is the original album version, but sometimes we will make adjustments as a band uh, after we discuss it. He says on all the songs I start and, or the more problematic tempos that other band members start, I program that tempo into my metronome in the order of the set list and then move through program tempos as the gig goes on. That way in a caught up or blank brain moment, I already have the next song's tempo right at the push of a button and he says, I can get things going on the right foot. And, you know, he'll listen to the tempo a little bit and then and then you're watch the tempo, depending on how he has it, uh, just to get a feel and then go. He says, this has worked really well for me. And I'm sure much less um, uh, rarely horrified anyone when hearing live playbacks. And so we talked about these things and I I um, I asked him which uh, programmable metronome he uses. And he says he uses a rhythm, a Tama rhythm watch. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I also found, uh, and, and then this live BPM app, which is cool. Um, I use an app called Tempe, which is like live BPM, where it listens to what you're playing and susses out the tempo. If even in like the cacophony of a full band playing it's, it's, these apps are amazing the, the way they're able to do this. Um, so, and then, um, yeah, so I've got Tempe and live BPM that I'll put in there. And then, um, I think I found another app that I will put in that um that essentially takes the 
the place of his live BPM app to, or his, uh, sorry, not his live BPM app, but his, um, his metronome too. So, uh, you don't, you can, you can do all of this with apps. In fact, I do it with Fourscore. I put, uh, tempos on every one of my pages in Fourscore and I can just start them and stop them. And that way I've got them right there. Uh, which is, I don't use it nearly as much as Andy does, but uh, I have done this with, like he said, some problematic songs here and there. And it, it is nice to have that count off that separates you from your own adrenaline <laughs> in the moment. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. It's good though. So, um, do, do you guys, you guys don't use a, a, a metronome or anything for anything live when you play with the house rockers, do you? Um, no, but Russ is cognizant of the, what the BPMs are supposed to be. Sure. And I think he marks his own set list up. Got and it. He's pretty good at, at uh, you know, dialing into yeah. you know, j- just off a of feel. Yeah. You know, he knows what 117 is, you know, just out, That's of, good. out of his body. That's handy. That's fantastic. I don't, he's a great I, drummer. I don't always know what 117 is. Um, it feels different at different times, you know? <laughs> well, it's just how it is, right? You know, I do. Uh, well, that's not fair. I, I played enough, um, marches in, you know, in, in marching band in both middle school and high school that I've got 120 in me. And so I can start at 120 and then kind of move from there. But, but it does, it takes a minute to breathe and be like, okay, I need yeah. to separate from my adrenaline. Where are we here? Feel it. Yep. Okay. That's where it is. And then go. Whereas if you've got the metronome right there, it's just like, okay, great. I can jump to the next song. It's no problem. I'll just trust that and go and, and, and get used to it, you know, by bar four or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for sending that in, Andy. That's uh that's good stuff. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And I've, I've seen, um, I was watching Trey Anastasio's band, uh, did a series of shows at the beacon, uh, theater. I think we talked about it. It was, it, they were all live stream. There were no, there was no audience. In fact, the band was playing backwards. They, they, they had their, their backs to the, uh, to the seats, which made the lights look pretty cool and all that stuff. Um, and it was all filmed multicam, obviously, and, and streamed on Twitch. They, they did, I think eight of them on Friday nights or something in the fall. And, uh, and so you got a lot of close-ups of different band members and, and such watching. And his, his drummer, Russ Lawton, um, was using, I noticed he had something on his snare drum and I think it was this Tama rhythm watch, but it, it was some sort of a metronome where for some songs he would just press a button on it and, uh, and, you know, wa- watch the light of the tempo, then count the tune in and go. And that way everything was always, you know, right where the band had all decided they wanted it. Um, yeah. there's, there's nothing worse than starting a song and realizing it's too, especially realizing it's too fast. Oh yeah. Um, too slow. If you catch you, it, you have a little bit of a chance of, of getting, catching up, but correct. fast and slowing down just confuses everybody. It confuses the crowd. It confuses. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's tough to, to slow a song down for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's always always nice to to be able to start a little more controlled and, and and let it go. If you want to let it go, that's great. But yeah, starting too fast is a disaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, that's the mailbag. That's what I got there. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com if you have anything you want to send into us. We love hearing from you. We love sharing your stuff. It's all good. We got anything else, Mr. Kent? Or are we uh, always be performing? That's what we like to say, folks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Again, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. 
look forward to seeing you next week because that's what we do you gonna write a song in the next week Paul you don't have to play it for us yeah about a crossing guard what was it, Night Watchman what did you say <laughs> crossing guard yeah